Hello and welcome. Thank you for listening to Embodied Astrology. My name is Renee. I'm an artist, educator, and healer currently based in Portland, Oregon. I study and practice tropical astrology, which is a system of esoteric philosophy and sacredness, foundational to contemporary life sciences, astronomy, cosmology, and even modern medicine. Embodied astrology is one of the ways I think about things. It's a lens that views the seasons and cycles of Earth and our relationship to planets and the cosmos as important and intrinsic factors in the experiences we're having here as humans. Through my lens as a feminist, queer person, and student of sacredness, I use astrology as a starting point to consider personal and collective evolution, current affairs, relationships, and spirituality. Along with this podcast, I offer audio horoscopes and guided somatic meditations. The horoscopes are journeys through the most potent aspects of the current and closely upcoming astrology applied to each individual sign. The guided meditations are body-based and experiential. They include movement, breathing, and inner awareness, and are offered to assist you in processing and thriving with the astrology of right now. In addition to these audio offerings, you can find short essays where I explore the current astrological weather and astrology-inspired affirmations for all 12 signs at embodiedastrology.com. You can also follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, where I post semi-regular astro updates and other inspiration. These offerings are given freely and self-produced by me, with occasional help from other artists, and of course my cat, May. If you'd like to support this work, please consider sharing it with your communities, writing reviews for the podcast, and leaving likes and comments on the links where you find it. I want to say a special thank you to those of you who send financial support. A one-time or recurring monthly donation of any amount makes a huge impact, and every bit goes towards supporting this work to continue. If you make recurring monthly donations, you'll also receive my Zodiacal Season journals as a gift every month. These journals are each about 40 pages long and filled with tons of information about astrology, lunar cycles, and planetary aspects for the current season. The journals are also for sale on my website as a one-time purchase. To check them out or to sign up to become a monthly donor, head over to Embodied Astrology and click Donate or find the journals in the shop. This podcast was recorded on January 5th during the new moon and total solar eclipse in Capricorn. It's an overview for the entire upcoming year of 2019. Since this podcast is an overview of the entire year, it will be longer than usual. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy. Please feel free to send any comments, feedback, or questions to Renee at embodiedastrology.com. I always love hearing from you and appreciate all that you offer. All right, everyone. Well, hello. Welcome. Happy New Year. Happy 2019. It is um, good to be here. Feels different to me. How about you? I'm sitting in my new office. I've turned a room in my house into a workspace and um, this definitely feels like 2019 to me as a Leo rising person with the influences of Saturn and Pluto in my sixth house of day-to-day work and jobs. It is time to get a little bit more professional, time to stop doing all the work at the dining room table or in bed. Um, I'm hoping that this will result in more sustainability and longevity and better postural habits as I can sit with a little bit more ease and intention now. So I'm excited for this year. Um, There's a lot that's coming up in the astrology of 2019 and This is going to be a longer podcast than usual, as I mentioned in the intro. So throughout the podcast, I'll be looking first at some of the general themes and major planetary influences that are 
key aspects of 2019, but also beyond 2019. So these are longer term transits, many of which are coming to some kind of peak or culmination in their impact in 2019 and 2020. So I'll be talking about that. I will also go through the year um, and look at some major dates and be thinking a little bit about the astrology of the year in a chronological order. As well as looking at the astrology of 2019, I've also made 2019 horoscopes for all 12 signs that are also a little bit longer than usual. And so you can find your audio horoscopes linked to this recording if you're looking from SoundCloud or iTunes. Um, You can also find the links on embodiedastrology.com on the post for this episode. So before I get into the astrology, I want to take a couple of minutes and just give you all an update about where Embodied Astrology is at. It is coming up on the five-year anniversary of this project, which is very exciting. Um, And it's been a wonderful five years. And now there are some changes on the horizon. So if you are a devoted Embodied Astrology listener, definitely stay tuned for that or if you're interested in what's coming up. I'll spend the next six minutes or so talking about these upcoming changes and I get into the astrology of 2019 at just about 12 minutes into this recording. So if you want to just skip ahead, please feel free. All right, so changes. 2019 is a year to prioritize. It is really a time when I think a lot of us are doing some deep reflection work on what our priorities are and paring down. And I'll talk quite a bit more about this theme and sentiment that I definitely feel and that I'm noticing a lot in clients and in friends. It is a sensation of overwhelm. There's a lot that's going on in the world right now. There are a lot of calls for each of us to participate in a million and 10 different ways. And of course, as humans, as individual humans, we cannot possibly be in all places at all times. So thinking about the ways to leverage what is truly important, what we're good at, what we want to be doing, and use it for its best impact is something that I'm thinking about quite a lot for myself and for my clients. And I think a lot of you are are there with me. So in the interest of sustainability, there will be some changes to my flow and work with embodied astrology. One of those changes you might even have noticed in the last couple of days, which is that I haven't been posting since uh, 2019 began. There was this big rush to post on Instagram or Facebook or something. And I had all of these things that I was starting to prepare like lists and drawings and affirmations. And I chose to remain with my partner and our families and kind of take it easy instead of spending a lot of time with social media. And in the last week, I've been preparing this 2019 uh, overview course, this class that's coming up um, tonight, and that's been a lot of work. And then preparing for this podcast and doing the horoscopes as well is just a lot So I'm tired and I'm thinking about how to conserve my energy, which is a big theme for 2019 is conservation. And one of the ways that I feel that's necessary, 
again, for me and for a lot of people is just to, to listen more deeply in, um, to not be driven by what I'm going to call competition. It's not necessarily competitiveness that has me thinking, okay, I need to post every day or always be in this space of communication, but it is a kind of urgency around offering and productivity that definitely isn't feeling sustainable to me right now. So I am going to shift my my cycles and over the course of the next couple of months, I'm going to be changing the rhythm in which I'm releasing these uh, audio recordings. I'm not entirely sure yet what this is going to look like. I need to feel it out a little bit, but some potentials on the upcoming horizon are that I do longer monthly forecasts and let the full and new moons be times for meditation and switch the horoscopes into cross-quarter horoscopes. So rather than hearing from me every two weeks, you'll hear from me every week um, with a little bit less content every time. So it's not as overwhelming for me or for you. Let me know what you think about that idea. If you're a person who um, listens to this podcast a lot and if you enjoy it, I'd love to hear your your input. What do you want this year? In part, what I'm doing is trying to make space uh, to think more about teaching. I have a lot of requests from listeners who want to learn astrology and who are particularly interested in my approach of embodied astrology. I love this work and I have found in my life that it is definitely a healing space to spend time in. And I really want to offer that. And I want to offer it in ways that are accessible to as many people as possible. So I'm thinking about how to do that and planning to uh, explore a little bit of how I can teach this year and also um, create offerings for longer term client work. A lot of people are asking about coaching or mentorship. And that's all stuff that I want to do and also things that I need a little bit of energy freed up for. So again, if there are things that you're wanting from me, if there are classes that you'd love to take, whether online or in person, or if you live somewhere and want me to come and do a workshop, these are all things that I'm thinking about. Please send me your input and ideas. Okay, so with that, I will just say that tonight I'm teaching a 2019 astrology workshop and the workshop is sold out, but tomorrow and on Monday, I'll be putting that workshop online and it will be available to you, to anyone who wants it. Um, So this is a three-hour presentation and it includes an overview Um, of the 2019 astrology that is definitely more personal than the one I'm about to offer. So I'll be teaching people how to work with this astrology on a personal and individual level and how to apply it to their own natal charts. So there will be that presentation. There will be some practices around sustainability and well-being um, to think about integrating into your daily or weekly rhythm this year. And there's also a pretty beautiful handout that I've been working on with my friend Ash Goodwin. I like it. It's really well designed. It makes me happy (laughs) to look at it. And um, there are a lot of resources in that handout to help you track uh, lunar cycles and planetary transits. So if you're interested in learning more about astrology for 2019 and 
planning with it, thinking about how it's going to affect your life. And of course, the people in your life, because the tools I give can be applied to any astrology chart, then head over to embodiedastrology.com. And if you click on store or shop, I can't remember what it is in this moment, um, you'll see it, the 2019 course. All right. So I think that's good for me with the announcements. How about you? Um, I'm going to start to look now at some larger themes uh, for the upcoming year. And this will be the first part of this podcast. You're going to hear me shuffling some papers um, because I've made a lot of notes about what I want to talk about today. Um, So let's start with the outer planets. The outer planets are also called the transpersonal planets. And transpersonal, of course, means more than the personal. So this is astrological influence that affects many of us, that is a symbol of the cultural moment and our kind of era or a period in time and evolution as a human race. These transpersonal planets are new planets, meaning that they're not part of the the classical pantheon of uh, astrology, which Saturn was the outer limit for a long time. It's the planet that is furthest away visible from the with the naked eye. Um, some of the other planets are visible at certain times, but because of their orbital periods, they're not always visible. So there might be hundreds of years that go by where there's not a sighting and then there is. And so um, I think that's one of the things I talk about with the, the next planet I'm going to um, explain, but it's like you know, maybe there's a sighting of something, but it really isn't discovered as a planet until later. Um, the planetary discovery charts are really interesting. So for any of you who are astrology students or enthusiasts, you can easily get on Google and uh, type in, you know, Uranus discovery astrology chart, and you'll get tons of astrologers giving their take on the profound moment of the discovery of Uranus or Neptune or Pluto or Chiron or any of the Kuiper Belt objects. And because astrology is a language of association, right, it's a a human-made language where we tell stories about the significance of the planets in the sky, Um, there are all kinds of associations that come up in the mind when we name something. And it's pretty remarkable to see how the associative power or influence comes in in the naming of the planets and their themes, what we see when we look back on cycles of time when these planets occupy certain signs. And we can really see that the the names are quite fitting, like they're perfectly named for what their influences are. So I'm going to start with the planet Uranus. And Uranus is a planet that is linked astrologically to ideas of innovation and technology. It's linked to invention, particularly inventions that occur because of accidents. So it's some kind of surprise, like whoop, surprise, Um, nuclear fission is invented or something. Um, Along with that, explosions and explosiveness have to do with the Uranian impulse, this kind of bursting through of some kind of energy, which is also translated as breakthroughs in our personal experience 
or radicalizing or um, breaks, mental breaks or something, as well as insight. And so Uranus's effect on our beings on a high level, high vibration level, wants to open us up in terms of our perception and ability to understand what it is that we're working with, with our basic nature, our basic energy, and of course, the Earth's basic energy. Uranus has an 84-year-long orbital period, which links its cycle to just about a life cycle for our current era. Not everybody lives to 80. Some people live significantly longer, but 80 seems like a good general age, uh, at least in more developed countries, more um, affluent supported populations um, of people to live. And because of Uranus's association to invention and breakthrough and insight, One thing that I think of is just how knowledge is passed from generation to generation. History repeats itself, of course, and there's a lot we can learn from our elders, much more than I think most of us do. I know I feel like there aren't enough elders in my life. I have um, a couple of them that I treasure, including my mentor, Carol Ferris, um, who is partially inspiring this podcast, especially when I'm going to talk about Pluto and Saturn. Um, But I wasn't able to really benefit from my grandparents' wisdom uh, just due to how we lived, you know, that my parents moved far away from their parents. And then the cultural norm of putting old people away happened to two of my grandparents. And It's just, I think, quite a tragedy that there's not as much crossover generationally for many people. I know that a lot of people still have quite close relationships with their elders, but this seems like something important to note, as well as Uranus's correlation to the Saturn cycle. So the 84-year cycle is just about three Saturn cycles, Um, Saturn has just about like a 27-year orbital period. Um, That is how long it takes it to orbit around the sun and return to its natal placement. So if someone lives long enough to experience their Uranus return around 84 years old, they will uh, also be close to their third Saturn return. And a lot of you know about Saturn return if you're in your late 20s or maybe around 60, um, that that's a, a really important time in life where we understand our maturity. And um, because of Uranus's length and Saturn's length, we can make a correlation between them in terms of wisdom and what we're ready to perceive. And also, Uranus takes about seven years to move through a particular sign, and Saturn's cycle is divided into seven-year segments in terms of the important um, hard aspects, the conjunction, opposition, and two squares. So some of you will know what that means. Others of you won't. It doesn't matter either way. Um, But those are a couple of preliminary thoughts. Um, So Uranus is just finishing its seven-year transit through the sign of Aries. And as I make this podcast, Uranus is preparing to station direct, which it does in just a couple of days on the 6th, I believe, or maybe the 7th. Um, And this will be the last time that Uranus stations direct in the sign of Aries. It entered Aries in 
2010 and has been working there since then. Aries is a sign that is associated to individuals, ego, the mind, and males, masculinity, macho-ness. If you think back to what I was saying a moment ago about what Uranus is associated to, innovation, invention, explosions, explosiveness, uh, bucking the old system, breakthroughs, insights, etc., revolutions. Since 2010, there has been a real radicalization of the individual and of individuality. Um, this cycle began uh, correlating with the Arab Spring and uprisings and revolutions throughout the Middle East. And really, that influence ripples out through much of the world. There's a militarization of social media that's happened in the last seven years, and that has given a voice to individuals in a really different way. Um, if we think about like trolling or trolls, as well as how individual voices that may have been more marginalized or silenced can now find each other and movements can build. Um, between 2012 and 2015, there was a square aspect between Saturn and Uranus, and it was the first square since they had come together in a conjunction in the late 1960s. And the aspects of conjunction and first square are related to the lunar aspects. So we're at a new moon, the moon is conjunct the sun today. Um, and then the the square, the first square, which marks the second quarter, um, is a time of crisis. It's a time when we look back at what begins at the conjunction and ask ourselves, how are we doing with that? So 2012 to 2015 um, was an upswell of a lot of themes relating to the last conjunction in the late 1960s. So Black Lives Matter um, was founded in 2013, of course, in response to the killing of Trayvon Martin and this um, widely propagated or, or more increasingly disseminated news about the slaughter of Black people at the hands of the police. And since then, there has been just so much activity in movement building. And I think that that's one of, for me at least, the more positive attributes of Uranus and Aries is that there um, is a lot of momentum for individuals to claim power, to bring power back to the people. And so movements for liberation and freedom, which of course include all different points of view, are and have risen in their power over the course of the last seven years. There's also been a big theme of terrorism and gun violence. And so in the correlation of Aries to maleness and macho-ness in the last seven years, we've seen how many killings now, mass slaughters by American men, um, and many of whom are really symbols of maleness and macho-ness and the way that the American white masculinity has been built. And they are exploding things. They're killing things. They're being radicalized. And of course, this is also happening on the other side of the world in the Middle East. And this the radicalization of not just men, but men and women, I think, people 
um, really feeling like there's uh, a, a critical point and a need to make some kind of statement and to turn themselves into these weapons. So the weaponization of the individual in the last seven years, I think, has also been a big theme. Um, so now Uranus is moving into Taurus. And as I said, in just a few days, tomorrow or the next day, I can't remember, um, Uranus is moving into its direct motion. It's been retrograde since August. And as Uranus stations direct, a lot of the themes of the last seven years are going to come into some kind of culmination. This is especially true for folks who have natal placements in the late degrees of the cardinal signs. Aries is one of the cardinal signs. Capricorn, Cancer, and Libra are the other three. So if you have natal placements in the late degrees, like between 20 and 30 degrees, this station is important for you in that over the course of the last seven years, Uranus has been moving through this sign, but in the last two to three years, it's been stationing forwards and back in the in the last deacon of Aries. And big changes are the result of this planet. If you're someone who's on a path of self-awareness, of awakening, and personal liberation, my hope for you is that you're really feeling how you have freed yourself and uh, moved into spaces of greater sovereignty and autonomy and empowerment in the places uh, in the place of your chart where Aries is. So in this part of your chart, in this area of your life, there's revolution, there's awakening, there's liberation, there's uh, probably been some battles maybe especially between 2012 and 2015, as I was mentioning during that last square between Uranus and Pluto. I know for myself, as a person who has some pretty important cardinal placements, those years were pretty brutal for me. I was um, really fighting (laughs) against some kind of control that I had internalized and also that I was experiencing externally through my relationships. And I was really trying to find a sense of personal freedom. And now as we're reaching the end of Uranus's cycle through Aries, I feel like I've got there, but it's been a journey. The last seven years have really been a journey and there have been many casualties along the way. um, And a lot of learning that's happened So in March, Uranus moves into the next sign, Taurus, and then we'll have seven years of Uranus in Taurus. Um, Let's see. So Uranus, of course, is invention, it's innovation, it's radicalization, revolution, etc. Taurus is a sign that is most, out of all the 12 signs, it is the most closely associated to Earth to earth as a body, to earth as this fertile and magical space that gives us food, that gives us sustenance. In relationship to earth, Taurus is ruled by Venus and femininity or women are strongly figured. So in the next seven years, we will see some of the same themes of radicalization that I talked about with men and maleness probably come into women and femaleness. And it may or may not be the same way, but 102 women were just voted into the United States government. And it is the most racially and 
ethnically diverse group of people that has ever been in the U.S. government, and I feel pretty excited about that. Um, so that's one theme that I'm, I'm seeing in the upcoming time. But before I get into this cycle that we're about to move into, I want to look back at some of the previous cycles to think about how Uranus and Taurus might be affecting some of the Taurian structures. So, of course, Taurus is associated with the Earth, with fertility, with bodies, with food and food production, with money and wealth, which, of course, all wealth comes from labor, from our bodies, um, is produced through bodies, and all wealth comes from the Earth. So this feeling of satiation and enoughness and ownership is definitely a Taurus theme, Um, Anyone who has strong Taurus in their chart knows how important it is to feel comfortable. And that's kind of this theme, although take that and magnify it by 9 billion people on the planet and our current era of capitalist consumership. And (laughs) comfort takes on a lot of different meanings. However, um, okay, so I'm going to look back at some of the previous cycles. I'm not going to go all the way back uh, as far as I could. I'm going to start in the late 1600s. I think I'm looking at three cycles since Uranus's orbit is the fastest out of all the transpersonal planets. So these notes that I've made are a little bit sloppy. Um, It was a lot of research to prepare this. If you listen and you're a history buff and I get something wrong or you want to add to it, please feel free to comment on the post at embodiedastrology.com or write me on Instagram or something if you want to share this information. I'm happy to continue to share it. These notes are incomplete and they are imperfect. Just letting you know that in advance. All right, so 1683 to 1691 um, was a period of time when Uranus transited through Taurus. During this period of time, Isaac Newton published the mathematical principles of natural philosophy and declared that time was absolute. He said it flows equably without relation to anything external. So I was talking about innovations, right? And insight into our nature, into the earth's nature. Isaac Newton's theories are, you know, pretty pivotal in terms of understanding physics and modern science. And so this is an important moment. Um, Also, Antony van Leeuwenhoek, it's a Dutch name, I'm not sure I didn't say that right, first reports the existence of bacteria. And maybe some of you have been reading about bacteria in the gut and how important the gut brain is or how our bodies are made of something like 90% bacteria and how uh, science now is fighting this like bacterial intelligence. That's one thing I'll get to when I think about Uranus in the upcoming cycles. But bacteria and viruses or viral infections um, are also a theme of Uranus, which is an upsetting of the bodies, uh, Uranus and Taurus, excuse me. Um, The Quakers in Germantown, Pennsylvania, adopted the first formal anti-slavery resolution in America during this period of time. With Uranus, we have these themes of revolution and freedom. And so as I looked uh, back at the Uranus cycles, I was um, impressed to see how many of them included resolutions and movements towards liberation. The British Parliament adopted the Bill of Rights, um, which limited royal power and ended the concept of the divine right of kings. Well, at least in theory, right? Colonialist expansion um, did not for sure end at that point. 
The first paper money was used in America uh, to pay soldiers fighting against Quebec. The Iroquois took Montreal. um, And so, of course, colonialism and the usurping of land or the discovery of land is is another theme um, that we're working with and that we might continue to see. But this sovereignty versus imperialism or um, indigenous rights versus colonial powers is, is a theme also that I've been noticing and thinking a lot about. Uranus the planet is first cited in 1690 by a person named John Flamstead, who mistakenly categorizes it as star 34 Tauri. Um, so that was a little interesting fact that I found was that the first sighting of, of Uranus occurred during this period. Um, all right, so then 1767 to 1775 was the next transit of Uranus through Taurus. And of course, this is the peak of the Industrial Revolution. It's uh, the period of time when the Boston Massacre and Boston Tea Party take place and the beginning of the American Revolution um, towards the end of this period. It's a time when 10 million people die due to massive droughts in Bengal. Um, that's one third of the population at that time. This was due to the Bengal famine of 1770. And at the time, it was the worst natural disaster recorded in human history. Um, so as we look back on themes of Uranus and Taurus, again, there are these big themes of sudden changes, drastic changes on Earth with food production, with bodies. During this time, the British East India Company increased its demand on Bengali people to keep the profits up. And I'm kind of thinking about this really as uh, a pivotal moment in industrialized slave labor and the way that exportation and importation have become such a key theme in the world right now. And basically people uh, across the world, but especially in um, on the South American continent and uh, in in Asia and definitely in certain parts of Africa, that there's these industries that have been built up to serve uh, first world consumption. Um, And what happens, you know, to these places when there's disaster. The bubonic plague breaks out in Moscow uh, during this period of time. It results in the Moscow plague riot. It killed 15, uh, excuse me, 57,000 people. There was a credit crisis, uh, the credit crisis of 1772. This was a peacetime financial crisis that began in London and then uh, spread to other parts of Europe, but it forced many banks to close. And this was one of the first big economic crises that affected uh, large groups of people. In the United States, the Mason-Dixon line was agreed upon, and this basically separated free states from slave states. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce was formed. Um, Rhode Island became the first colony to prohibit the importation of slaves. Slavery was outlawed in England. Uh, Let's see, Daniel Rutherford, this inventor, um, discovers nitrogen. The spinning wheel is invented. So this is actually a, a kind of important invention, thinking about technology and innovation and what happens to bodies and labor the invention of the spinning wheel really changed the notion of labor and work for women, um, that sewing and darning and creating cloth 
traditionally was women's work and was done in the home. And then as the spinning wheel is invented, it really shifts the dynamic uh, for labor and starts to move that kind of labor more into an industrialized space, as well as, in air quotes, making it easier for women who had access to that kind of technology to sew their clothes. Um, James Watt developed the steam engine and the industrial revolution began. So looking back on that period of time, 1767 to 1775, these themes of economics, innovation, freedom, freedom for peoples and uh, freedom in terms of governmental control, etc., as well as earth shifts. All right, so then we have the next cycle, 1850 through 1859. The Panic of 1857, this was the first worldwide economic crisis. It was sparked when the SS Central America sank while carrying 21 tons of gold. So that's an important theme, again, these economic crises. Charles Darwin published The Origin of the Species. The sewing machine was invented, further industrializing women's labor. The steel industry was revolutionized by the Bessemer conversion process. The first transatlantic cable was created, linking Newfoundland and Ireland. So transatlantic cable, digital technologies, and communications are a big theme for Uranus and Taurus as well. The first lead-acid rechargeable batteries were invented. Um, There were earthquakes in Japan, killing tens of thousands of people and resulting in a massive loss of infrastructure. San Salvador was completely destroyed by an earthquake. Uh, Big banks, Mass Mutual and Western Union, were founded. The bubonic plague broke out in China, and it killed about 12 million people. Anti-slavery takes root in America, and shortly after the transit of Uranus through Taurus, the Civil War began. All right, so now we're into the most recent cycle of Uranus through Taurus, 1934 to 1942. Of course, this was kind of the peak of the Great Depression, which spans 1929 to 1939, Um, a really pretty important and intense time in uh, the history of of our country and in economic history. This was also when major heat waves um, spread out through Midwestern America and we had the Dust Bowl. Um, Of course, this is also the period of time that World War II happened and the Holocaust and, of course, Hitler and Nazi Germany and um, everything that happened around that period of time, the U.S. internment of hundreds of thousands of Japanese people and um, more minorly internment of people, uh, I think, of German heritage. France was shut down by millions of striking workers during this time. There was a famine in West China that killed 5 million people. Um, Mahatma Gandhi began his first hunger strike protesting British imperialism. There was the first x-ray of the full human body. Oil was discovered in Saudi Arabia during this time and the like the first major pipelines were tested between England and France. FDR signed the Social Security Bill and created the Works Progress Agency, which was a pretty important moment in U.S. history, moving towards not really socialism, but more of a socialist idea, basically providing for people within the structure of capitalism. GM also during that time recognized the Auto Workers Union. And minimum wage was signed into law. So these things happened the last time Uranus was in Taurus. Just want to point that out. Also, during this time, uh, the first superheroes <laughs> came onto the scene. This is when Superman, Batman, and Captain America made their like first appearances in um, very tight clothing. 
Uh, let's see, what else do I have? Billie Holiday recorded Strange Fruit during this time. It was the first anti-lynching song, and a lot of people heard it and were impacted by it. Cheerios was invented, the first McDonald's opened, and the first canned beer was sold. And so here we have kind of the innovation of food technology or the invention of uh, disposable <laughs> nourishment, quote-unquote nourishment, and mass consumption. Um, a magnitude 7.5 earthquake killed approximately 50,000 people in Pittsburgh and resulted in the worst flooding in Pittsburgh history during this period of time. Uh, Alan Turing introduced the concept of the Turing machine, um, and this basically leads to the invention of computers as well as to the concept of artificial intelligence. Otto Hahn uh, discovered nuclear fission during this time, and plutonium was first synthesized. And so in this period of time, the atomic age began. And let's see, the last note I have about this period was that LSD was first synthesized by Albert Hoffman. All right, so here we are in 2019. Uranus began its ingress into Taurus last year, actually, in May and uh, like I said, it turned retrograde in August. So it had uh, traveled all the way to two degrees Taurus and then had turned retrograde in August and is now back at 28 Aries. So if you're a person who has placements in the early fixed signs, Taurus, Leo, Aquarius, and Scorpio, you may have already been feeling these changes that Uranus is going to bring. Um, Again, I'm going to talk more about how to understand this astrology in your personal charts in the 2019 online course. So if you want to really understand how to use this astrological energy for yourself, definitely check out that course. As we move into this phase as a global community, some of the things that we're looking at are this ongoing innovation and invention of uh technology, right? So robot labor is now a thing. We have artificial intelligence basically embedding into our lives increasingly. Most of us are already cyborgs by choice. Okay. I just want to say that like, first of all, cyborgs by choice has existed for a while. I mean, ever since glasses were invented, right? This is a technology that allows people to function more efficiently, um, pacemakers, stuff like that. But uh, the ways that we're all using smartphones now is pretty remarkable. Not all of us, a lot of people though, um, are storing a lot of their personal information and memories in cloud-based technology and on devices. I'm one of those people. I mean, I know that my smartphone is totally entwined with my brain at this point my computer. These are tools that I use every day for so many different things. And computational technology is getting smaller and faster day by day. And the innovation is um, exponential, right? So the more we learn, the more we will learn. And this is just increasing as we move forward into the 2020s. Um, we will see expansion of robot labor for sure. I mean, we all know that this is happening in terms of self-driving cars, self-driving trucks, et cetera. The ways that um, Siri and Alexa and these other AIs are uh, taking up residence in a lot of people's homes and um, becoming, you know, somewhat friends or something, the OS devices. Did you guys see that 
movie, She, was it She or Her? I don't remember. Quite an interesting movie about a human man's relationship with a, with an OS. Um, cryptocurrencies are also a thing right now. Um, we'll see where they go. I know that outside of cryptocurrency, um, like Bitcoin and stuff, I'm always just amazed at how little I actually am using cash. Um, I do use cash. I appreciate cash for those of you who do private sessions with me. Uh, I'll always be happy to give a discount for people paying with cash. Um, but I don't use it that often. You know, a lot of people pay me uh, in numbers. So I get transfers on Venmo and PayPal and numbers are moving back and forth and back and forth and back and forth between accounts. And this is uh, where our currency has moved is into this digital space. And a lot of people might hear that and like clutch for gold and like do this thing that uh, at least a lot of Americans, older Americans seem to do where it's like, oh my God, economic instability, I better invest in gold. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, you can't eat gold and you can't really build with it. It's a soft metal. Um, it's pretty, but really, like, what are you going to do with it? The most important things, it seems to me, are the basic things. Water, food, <laughs> comfort, relationships, clean air to breathe, and a clean space to uh, take safety from the storm, to seek shelter in. We will see big economic shifts in these next seven years. Um, looking back on all the Uranus and Taurus cycles, uh, thinking about Pluto and Capricorn as a cycle and the upcoming Saturn-Pluto conjunction, which I'll talk about in a little bit, I will bet money on um, money not being the thing that it used to be uh, by the end of this. And I'm listening to a lot of astrology podcasts these days and kind of trying to check out what other people are saying. And I was listening to one the last couple of days with um, a couple of fairly well-known astrologers who are about my age, a little older than me, but they were going through their 2019 forecast. And I was a little disappointed to hear how much fear there was about this time. And it's like, oh, economic instability. Oh, no, no, no. Of course, this is a reason to be fearful. Looking back at the Great Depression, um, we see how much destruction there was uh, for you know people's health. Really, like that's how I'm thinking about it. People's bodies, their well-being. When we don't have basic needs met, we're in a state of trauma, and I certainly don't want that for myself. I certainly don't want that for anyone. However, capitalism is not sustainable as an ideology. The idea that we can exploit other people and exploit the land to build our own wealth is, uh, an, first of all, ne was never an idea that was a good one. And second of all, it's totally outdated. And I think that we're seeing this more and more that this capitalist system has built up a very few people to be very wealthy. And most of the people in the world uh, don't have enough access to their basic needs in general, and then to the needs that they have beyond basic needs to just live life in a good and comfortable way. We have plenty of resources on the planet. We have absolutely enough to take care of everyone if the people who uh, have accumulated all the wealth would give it up. 
And that doesn't mean that they would have to go live on the street. You know, like there is enough for everyone on this planet to live a safe, healthy life. There's enough uh, collective wisdom for us to completely turn away from fossil fuels and towards renewable resources. There is enough for everyone to figure out how to get themselves uh, to move around their lo- you know, immediate locales and also long distance travel without completely destroying the environment. We have all this. The reason why we're in the state that we're in is because of hoarding. So looking back on the Great Depression and other kinds of economic crises, one of the things that I think is that we wouldn't have had these crises if we had had a different mind state to begin with. Earthquakes and famine, now that's a different story. But in terms of economic crises, this happens because of inflation and expansion or disasters that come in and then banks can't, you know, cash in on their notes. So when we're thinking about this, and I am thinking about it a lot, I'm thinking about the next seven years and I'm not a predictive astrologer. I cannot say what's going to happen in the future, but astrology aside, just looking at current news, we're overdue for a recession in the United States. And of course, the US is such a big player in the world market and the world itself politically is so unstable right now that an economic crisis seems inevitable. I hope that the best possible outcome will result from this, which is that human beings will realize how resourceful they are. And this is actually what happens in times of crisis. Um, Even small crises, like uh, last year there was a big, or maybe two years ago, there was a big uh, ice storm in Portland. You know, I live on the West Coast in a fairly temperate climate. It doesn't really snow very often. And so it snowed like a foot and a half and then Portland doesn't have any snow plows and it didn't salt the roads at that point. So all of the snow turned into like 12 inches of ice and the whole city shut down for like three weeks. Um, And during that time, there were definitely casualties. I mean, especially for people who were more economically disadvantaged, who lived further out on the fringes of the city, who didn't have access to um, heat or you know, couldn't leave their homes or something to find food, there were definitely casualties. That is true. What was also true is that I met my neighbors for the first time. We got to be friends and there was a lot of pooling of resources. There were people who were giving each other what they had because stores were closed and we couldn't get anywhere. Folks who were saying, come on over, I've got a wood burning stove. You can get warm at my house. Feel free to sleep here. Things like that. I believe in our inherent goodness And so thinking about what could potentially come in these next couple of years and this inevitability, it seems, with an economic crisis, I think that this is an opportunity for us to remember what is really important. Um, And I'll get into this more when I talk about Saturn and Pluto, but one of the things that it seems like we all ought to do in 2019 is reduce our financial exposure as much as possible. Um, so I don't know it, you know, try and get out of debt if you can, but also it's not a great time necessarily to be investing or, or spending a lot or really thinking that money is real. And so when I say reduce financial exposure, yes, that involves debt and 
paying things off and not, or trying to not be at risk. But more of what I mean is don't expose yourself or your vulnerabilities uh, as much to money anymore. How can you resource yourself from relationships and not in an exploitative capitalist way, but through generosity, through gratitude, through relationship building. Um, One of the things that I have found to be true again and again and again is that when I express gratitude and appreciation, um, people express that back to me. And generosity exists in greater quantities than if I do not. So there's a lot of resources. There are a lot of ways that we can take care of each other. If you're a person who holds a lot of financial privilege, maybe consider helping other people become less financially exposed at this time. So if you're someone who doesn't have a lot of debt and who does have money and savings, rather than hearing these astrological predictions and saying, oh my God, like I better save my money. I'm going to shove it into my mattress and like wait for the storm to blow over and then I'll be rich. Help other people out. Help, help them weather this storm. Um, if, if you can, why not? You know, what is there to lose? You'll gain friendship and your soul will be nourished. Um, as we look into this time, you know, fossil fuels and the decimation of the planet because of fossil fuel production is definitely high up on the list. So we've all heard this pretty dire warning uh, coming through from the world science community that climate change is happening. And looking back on Uranus and Taurus transits, climate change happens, you know, and this, this much is true. Climate change does happen and there are droughts and there are floods and typhoons and earthquakes. And, um, that's not new. And those kinds of events are not created by humans, but we are in the age of the Anthropocene when human impact is the greatest impact for change on the earth. And our consumption habits are one of the primary driving factors of climate change in an accelerated pace. So it's not that you know climate change is just starting now. The climate's always changing. But the way that the climate is changing is changing faster and more extreme uh, than it ever has. So we need to become more adaptable. There's not... Um, really the potential to go backwards in time, right? And this clutching to the past is a big theme uh, astrologically right now. I'll talk more about that with, with Neptune and with Pluto. But Uranus is a planet of innovation and invention. And again, it links generations. And one of the things that I think that we can see looking back on human history is that Disasters aside, humans have been incredibly successful. If you look back on our history as a race, as a species, um, we have thrived. And yes, people die, people suffer, there are disasters all the time. And uh, the human race continues to flourish, and we continue to adapt, and we continue to innovate. And I don't necessarily think that's going to change. We are doing it all of the time. So the question then becomes, what is the intention that is driving our innovation? Is it going to continue to be this intention towards supremacy and dominance of one another and of our planet? Or will we shift our intention towards something like um, happiness, 
not in a consumer way, but actual lasting happiness or, or peace, content, contentment. Um, so we'll, we'll see about that. Um, <laughs> oh, I can only hope, I can only hope that we all wake up together and it really will take all of us. You know, it's, um, nothing that any of us individually are going to do alone, though each of us individually are part of it. So the more that we each wake up, that we get free from these oppressive mind states, um, like capitalism or supremacy, then we can make different choices. We can find our way more towards happiness. Anyway, I digress. Um, GMOs and fake meat is a note that I had. So food innovation and food technology in terms of Uranus and Taurus is a big theme. Um, How people create nourishment, basically, and use the resources of the earth to create these kinds of different products. So we're moving further and further away from anything that's natural and more towards synthetic uh, food options. I have a lot of different feelings about this. Um, Like many of you, I imagine I feel terrified by this kind of technology and instinctually disgusted by it. Um, especially when it comes to the use of pesticides and fertilizers and the way that big agriculture has really shifted um, food production across the planet, this has been incredibly destructive technology. And as we move into Uranus and Taurus 2018 to 2026, agriculture and food production are really huge themes. I talked in the last podcast about farmer suicides and the way that agriculture or big agri is destroying so many communities across the world and really is at the root of a lot of war, um, particularly the wars and political coups and instability in uh, South America, but definitely throughout Asia, throughout the U.S., this is true as well. However, I keep hearing about how scientists have... uh, discovered, no, um, innovated meat production and basically have figured out how to grow meat cells to make this meat product um, that isn't coming from animals. And I actually feel pretty excited about that, especially since meat and dairy production are one of the most devastating Uh, environmental impact um, situations. So how many cattle are raised to be slaughtered and then to create dairy is a huge impact on our land. It's a huge impact on the atmosphere, but it's also a huge impact in terms of their nourishment um, and being fed mostly with corn and how much monocrops have been really at the root of a lot of our agricultural crisis. So I don't know. I'll see where this goes. A little bit on the fence about it, but I can see the potential upside of it. So we'll we'll see about that. Um, nuclear power in the atomic age is something that we're definitely looking at right now. And of course, throughout the last cycles of, of Uranus, as I mentioned in the notes, there have been these developments around nuclear power. And 
Donald Trump is a big fan of nuclear power, and the more he focuses on increasing nuclear production in the United States, then of course other countries are following suit. And we had been in a time when nuclear production was uh, on the the down slant, um, when world governments were understanding that it was a death sentence, um, definitely for humanity and really for any kind of life on earth. Um, but that also may be changing and there may be, um, a, a increased push for nuclear power and potentially the ongoing threat of nuclear war. Um, finally, the last note I have is around corporate structures, um, like Amazon or Airbnb and this kind of convenience, uh, mentality that has really changed a lot of our lives and the ways that we resource ourselves, um, the ways that we seek comfort, etc. And what's going to happen with with those structures and whether or not they'll um, uh, increase in their power, their capacity for social control or not. Now, it's not all doom and gloom. Um, with Taurus as a sign that represents femaleness and feminists. And as I said, with 102 women being voted into the U.S. government, I do actually feel like we could make a different choice this time around. There's enough momentum in the people. And I think that Uranus in Aries these last seven or eight years has brought in a lot of momentum to the people. And now as we move into this next Uranus and Taurus cycle, it may be that the people can actually start to make a change. So as I noted before, um, in the last Uranus and Taurus cycle, there was significant movement towards um, socialist ideals in some ways and uh, worker protections and minimum wage and this kind of thing. And I think that as more feminine leadership comes in, and this doesn't just mean women, it also includes men who are willing to make a break with the macho ideal and to work more collectively, communally, to spend more time um, prioritizing health and well-being, I think we can actually make quite a lot of change. So I feel excited for Uranus and Taurus as well as nervous about it. And what I feel most excited about is the opportunities that we each have to innovate our own relationships to Taurus. So we can rediscover, many of us, the joy of the natural world. Um, That would be a a wonderful result of Uranus and Taurus is uh, the people rising up to take care of the national parks, which they have been doing since the government has been shut down for the last two weeks. And um, 45, you know, kept the national parks open without anyone there to protect them. I was reading articles about how um, locals and citizens were uh, becoming the protectors of the parks because they know how much of a resource they are. So this kind of thing, I hope, is is more of what we get with Uranus and Taurus, is people coming together to protect what is actually important, what our resources and wealth actually are. I can tell you for sure, gold doesn't fucking matter. When you're cold and when you're hungry and when you need a place to lie down, gold will not do you any good. What will do you good? Friends. Friends will do you good. You know, they will offer you a place to stay. Um, They'll offer you some food. It's like when we come together, when we pool our resources, when we collectively decide what matters, 
we can make a lot of change. So I'm excited for that with Uranus and Taurus. Um, all right. So now let's talk a little bit about the next transpersonal planet. This is Neptune. And Neptune is a planet that is associated with reality versus unreality. And a couple of, of episodes ago, I was talking about Neptune as reality in uh, kind of opposition to how Neptune is often talked about as unreality. So Neptunian energy is this dream state energy. It's when you're not sure what's illusion, what's real. It is the in-between spaces. Neptune rules things like theater and cinema. It's when we kind of lose ourselves to some other experience. This includes um, drug-induced states. Neptune is very closely related with alcohol and medications and um, the kinds of drugs that remove you from this reality like heroin, opioids. Um, and the feeling of Neptune, if it, if it figures strongly in someone's personal chart or if they get hit with a hard aspect, is really not knowing what's real. And it's this line between sanity and insanity. And I think that all of us, to a certain extent, have probably experienced this. And you might have experienced it in a relationship when you know you fall madly in love with someone and you're like, oh my God, this is so real. It's the realest thing I've ever felt. And then X amount of time later, you like wake up to the reality of the situation and that person is not a god or goddess. They are a human and they're flawed and maybe like they're way more human and way more flawed than you thought originally. And it's like, whoa, where was I? What was I thinking? Um, Neptune is unreality slash reality in the sense that what we're here experiencing is Maya. Uh, Maya is a word, Sanskrit word for illusion. It's like, this is unreal. This is a dream. We think things are real, but they are not real. They are arising in a moment of, of co-arising. Um, any phenomena is interdependent, of course, on all phenomena that is existing in that moment that has ever existed. But all phenomena interacts with itself and continues to change. And when we get attached to things being the way that they were, or they are, then we become very disturbed when something changes. And this is what Neptune describes. It is unreality and the ways that we think reality is real. So we live in an unreality. We call it reality all the time. We're experiencing these like disillusionments. We're going, oh my God, I thought it was this way, but it isn't. And I think, you know, disillusion is an interesting word because it has this negative connotation to it, but actually to be disillusioned is to not be in the illusion anymore. Um, what does that mean when nothing is real? I don't know, but uh, this is these are some of the questions of Neptune is like, what is real? And so Neptune is currently moving through the sign Pisces and Pisces is the sign that Neptune is most closely associated to in terms of an energetic state. And uh, Neptune is what's called the modern ruler of Pisces. Pisces is also ruled by its classical planetary ruler, Jupiter. 
We'll talk more about Jupiter in just a bit. Um, but Neptune in Pisces is an expansion of Neptunian energy in its pretty pure state, since Pisces as a sign also is associated to these oceanic states of being and the dream space and the space where all phenomena comes together and is constantly intermixing and interpermeating. And we don't know what's real and we get really attached to certain things. And then we feel a lot of grief when those things change. This is kind of like the Piscean psychology. And I'm not talking about Pisces sun people. I'm talking about how Pisces works in all of our charts, that wherever you have Pisces, um, whatever house Pisces rules in your natal chart is a place where you don't have much for boundaries, you know, where you're very sensitive to collective influence, where you can receive, but also uh, expend a huge amount of energy and where things flow in and flow out um, without much discretion. So Neptune is in Pisces. Currently it entered in 2011 and it will be there through 2026. The last time Neptune was in Pisces, I'm only going to look at uh, the previous era, was 1847 through 1862. This was an important time in the world in terms of the rise of nationalist and populist movements, specifically in Europe, in Germany, Italy, Hungary, Ireland, and Serbia. Um, It was the rise of socialism and communism. The Communist Manifesto was published in 1948. Um, And it was also the birth of the welfare state. And so we have these kind of like dual movements that are arising. And in terms of nationalism or populism, um, what we're seeing now, again, in the world is, is a rise of nationalism and populism. It's the feeling of oneness. And this is something that Neptune and Pisces are both associated with is oneness because it's where we all come together. However, as an illusion state, it is, uh, Oneness, if it's understood in a high vibration, is wanting to take care of one another, right? So we have the birth of the welfare state or maybe the seeds of socialism, like this idea that everybody can be taken care of or, you know, I have Neptune pretty strongly in my chart um, aspecting my midheaven and, and this is my dharma or my path. And so it's like, I feel and believe so strongly that we are all interconnected and that intrinsically we are the same, like all beings are the same. And I don't mean everyone's pink on the inside. I mean that we all come from the stars and all of us here on the planet have gone through the experiences of conception, embryonic and fetal development and birth, and then life in a body. And just those things alone are pretty much what we can say we share, but just those things alone are such a huge portion of our existence is that we live in the phenomenal world and our lives are impermanent. We're all dying. We live in a body and we're dying. And just that alone is the basis for compassion. And just that alone should give us like insight into other people's experiences. However, we get into spaces of illusion based on our bodies, right? So, you know, my body looks like this. My body came from this family. My body is associated with this bank account. And then we look for other people who uh, we associate with. And these ideas then of oneness uh, are also ideas of separation. So like Americans as an idea is um, a group of people, right? We, we are Americans, 
What does that mean though? Because there are a lot of people who live in America, many of whom do not identify as Americans. And that includes people who are citizens um, of the United States. So like indigenous people, Native Americans who you know, might consider themselves native to the Americas, but in terms of holding an American identity, um, many of them just, you know, they're going to laugh at you, you know, like what the fuck is an American identity? Um, America as an idea was born from illusion, right? It's a story that, that we've told. I'm going to talk more about that in the next section. Um, but the, the rise of populism and the idea that somehow we're going to go back or uh, maybe forwards into this time and space when there's utopia or when there's heaven is such a Neptune idea. And Neptune and Pisces are both associated with transcendence of the material realm. It's like, this isn't real. Something else is real. And the idea of heaven, as well as the idea of hell, uh, these are ideas that humans have. They exist right here on earth every day. Many of us go through heaven and hell multiple times in in a day or an hour. Um, So... Neptune in Pisces is a time when our illusions and the power of illusion sweeps uh, through us, sweeps through our collective psyche. And what we'll see with with Neptune in Pisces, this go around is, you know, what we're already seeing, the the rise of nationalism, the rise of populism. Um, But we're also seeing these big social movements to take care of one another. And we're going to see how it plays out. Um, However, Along with the themes of Uranus and Taurus and Pluto and Capricorn, there's definitely the threat of of war, right? And um, I'm not sure, maybe some of my listeners are living in places where they're experiencing war now. Um, I think most of my listeners are in North America, um, the US and Canada, and some Western Europe and Australia. Makes sense, given our shared language. But... um, I, for myself, have never experienced war. I was born and raised in the United States, and there has not been um, at least a recognized war on American soil in a long time. And I definitely would say that I'm not prepared for it. I don't know who ever is prepared. But the world is in a fracturing space right now. And Again, I really feel like we can make a shift, but how we decide to move towards it is the important thing. And so each of us in ourselves recognizing impermanence, recognizing the ways that we exist in and participate with illusion, and particularly recognizing the um, longing that we have for something better is one of the ways I think uh, it's important to work with Neptune. So in this idea of transcendence, of getting, getting to heaven, like this idea is such a destructive idea. First of all, it's, um, you know, the, the evangelicals are <laughs> Trump's biggest support base. And they're a group of people who are like, they're wanting the end of the world. You know, they want the, the fucking rapture and this Messiah to come back. And it's like, uh, well, the Messiah has probably been incarnated, you know, hundreds of thousands of times at this point with people being born and recognizing oneness and connection with divinity. And this idea of something looking a certain way is a delusion. It's a fantasy. And 
then the destruction that is caused because of this fantasy is remarkable. So Neptune and Pisces are both strongly associated with religion and the church and the things that we do, the ways that we participate with illusion, uh, thinking that some, somehow, you know, we're going to get to someplace better. This is such a dangerous idea. You know, we're here, we're now, we live on a planet that is magical. There's so much potential uh, on this earth all the time, constantly arising, We are participating in relationships that are beautiful with sentient beings who are capable of, um, you know, infinite knowledge and love. And so many of us are constantly looking outside of ourselves, thinking about when I'm going to be happy, when I'm going to have that thing, when da-da-da-da-da, then, you know, I'll be at peace. And I'm guilty of that just as much as the next person. It's not only in relationship to religion. It's also about money and possessions and love. You know, that so many of us are constantly spinning these stories about our optimism and how we're going to get saved and what's going to deliver us from suffering. And if anything describes Neptune, it's this, you know, take me out of this small little life give me something that, you know, feels like it's the thing that I deserve, (laughs) you know, take me to heaven. And we miss the, we miss the potency of right now. You know, we miss the magic of presence. We miss what is actually occurring second to second, moment to moment, which is heaven right here on earth. You know, it's like we look around and we could have it if we weren't so obsessed with getting somewhere else. All right. Now, Pluto in Capricorn, I've talked about a lot Um, in the last couple of years. It's just been such an important astrological theme. Pluto is otherwise known as the god of death. It is Hades, the guardian of the underworld. And um, what Pluto does is it transforms and metamorphizes energy. How it does this is through a dying process. And Hades is the gates of hell. And if you have ever gone through a hellish period in your time in your life, usually these periods are marked by brushes with death, you know, being incredibly ill, having important people die, um, having important things taken from you, what feels like taken, loss, um, intense suffering, right? Intense uh, experiences with loss and ending you know that a journey through the hell realms um, is transformative. You know that it changes your perspective forever. And probably you know that on the other side, there is a deep transformation that happens in your being that results in a further empowerment. You know, like you're not as swayed by trivial shit. And this is the power of Pluto. So I've been thinking a lot about um, dinosaurs recently. Um, I like dinosaurs a lot. (laughs) I'm I'm really fascinated by them. Um, But I've been thinking a lot about dinosaurs and our current um, dependence on fossil fuels. And so, you know, maybe you've heard like, well, uh, oil is the result of the decomposition of the um, Jurassic age, like the bodies of dinosaurs, and then also the gases and um, 
uh, other kind of like natural elements on the crust of the earth at that time, um, colliding, transforming with each other and then being buried underground. And that the death process of that era is oil and it's this deep power underneath the ground. And now of course, human innovation has figured out how to extract oil. And what we have in terms of, of oil power and gasoline power is, um, this pretty dark power on earth, like this very destructive power. And when I think about the reptilian mindset and, you know, I know there are plenty of dinosaurs who are very peaceful and gentle, but the like archetype of the dinosaur and this, you know, like monster, um, that's what it seems like has been created from that era, or that's what is being created now from that era. Um, this is one, one way that I've been thinking about Pluto and Capricorn, um, Pluto's last uh, orbital period that brought it through Capricorn was 1762 through 1778. And this, of course, uh, was the American Revolution and the Declaration of Independence. So the United States as an idea was born when Pluto was finishing its transit of Capricorn. And in the United States Sibley chart, which is kind of like this uh, birth, the, the birth of you know, the United States, like the signing of the declaration, um, Pluto and Capricorn is in the second house of wealth and values. And so it's interesting to note that during this time, it was actually the, I think it was like one of the busiest times for busiest. That's probably not the right word. Um, like a boom time for in, with the African slave trade and the transatlantic crossing. And so you, the U.S. as an idea is born during this time, but also during this time, um, white slave traders and um, colonialists are importing human labor and power from what at that time is called the dark continent and bringing human beings to the United States and basically treating these human beings as non-humans. And the wealth of the United States then begins to grow, right? So the United States as an idea is born. And of course, it is born uh, with this idea of like, we are free. Um, And then in order to declare freedom, there's genocide of indigenous populations, importation of black bodies, and then the wealth of the United States Uh, begins to accumulate as a direct result of the labor of slaves and the birthing of a nation or population of of slaves through the bodies of black women. And during this time, the ideas of contrasting states of lightness and darkness, as they've been kind of defined by religion, right, by Catholicism or Christianity with lightness being associated to goodness and to God and darkness being associated to evil and the devil, this is then imposed on bodies. And it's the first time on earth that I know of where people are separated in their value due to color of their skin. And so before this, of course, there's tribalism for 
ever, as far as I know, you know, and uh, different groups of people asserting dominance over other groups of people, and probably a lot of different kinds of uh, markers that would, um, you know, that people would grab onto and declare supremacy because of that. But never before had it been around skin color. And so in the last turn of, of Pluto through Capricorn, this is what begins. And um, with this idea, you know, and the idea of some people being more valuable than other people, and that idea becoming intrinsic to the American dream and intrinsic to um, capitalism and kind of the unreality that we live in now, uh, we have this um, dualism that's set up in, in our beings, I think, where everyone then turns towards this idea of what success looks like and what happiness is going to look like as the white male ideal. Anyway, I want to take a minute to read this passage from Alexis Pauline Gums, who's an amazing um, black feminist queer author that I feel so grateful to have been exposed to um, through my partner, Ayana. And um, I've been just starting to read her work. I'm really not um, very well versed in it, but the book M Archive is so mind blowing. Like I, um, I can read like a paragraph and then I have to absorb it for a while. She's, uh, really like such a master of words. And I don't know that I've ever experienced someone who's able to articulate ideas in such a visceral and poetic way. Um, I'd highly recommend it. So this is just one passage from a longer piece, um, where she's writing about fat black women. She says, if you think you would have survived without the love of fat black women, you are wrong. Who works all the time while you are sleeping and hating yourself? Who fixes everything you don't know how to do? You are a liar. You are a mess. And you are allowed to be a mess because of the unending work of fat black women. Even if you are a fat black woman, you've lied and said you weren't or compared yourself to someone else. It's a failure. It's a lie from the devil. It will never work. It's killing us all. How many statues of fat black women do the ancients have to hide for you to dig up and understand what God looks like? So, (laughs) um, you know, thinking about this moment that we're in and the last time uh, Pluto was in this moment as well and the transatlantic lineage of, of suffering that has produced such an, a, a deep and epically proportional amount of generational trauma, you know, thinking about like anyone who is uh, touched by capitalism or ideas of, of blackness or whiteness, which is pretty much everyone in the world at this point, um, like we can trace a lot of this current era suffering back to this previous phase. And what's happening currently, I think, with literally more fat black women or black women who live in female bodies that don't look like the thin white ideal, um, becoming more prominent and taking up space and taking up power and the way that the dominant ideal of supremacy, the American white man, uh, is being challenged. Um, I I'm astounded by the symbology of this time looking at the astrological cycles. 
And as I think about Pluto and Capricorn in, in the coming uh, period, and so Pluto entered Capricorn in 2008, basically um, coinciding with the recession and the fall of some, uh, you know, big banks. Um, Pluto and Capricorn in 2008 through 2025 is a time when we as a nation and as a world really need to understand or are reaching to understand our concepts of darkness. Um, So when I was talking a moment ago about these ideas of darkness and lightness and how the the Christian church and patriarchy have um, associated darkness and lightness to good and bad, this and and then to think about uh, kind of tying in the Neptunian idea of transcendence, um, that darkness is also a stand-in for Earth and for our bodies and for femininity in a lot of ways and for people who are not the um, I- idealism of of whiteness. So these kind of um, Ideas that that go against what white supremacy has basically declared as the ideal, Um, you know, not living on the ground, high rises, uh, the kind of wealth that insulates us from having an earthly experience. Um, That's those are values that cannot be disentangled from whiteness, from this. you know, p- pursuit of wealth that slave owners um, uh, incurred, right? Like they built their wealth upon the bodies and the labor of black people and the exploitation of the earth. And then of course of the African continent and insulated themselves. And so we have dynasties now uh, in the United States of people, direct descendants of those slave owners who started the banks, who started the big institutions, the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds and this and that, and um, huge holdings of wealth that still, that continue to this day um, to, to build the structures of what we think of as America. And those structures were always entwined with the the white Christian ideal and what that is. So that can include um, straightness, you know, this idea uh, that within Christianity, at least, that homosexuality is a sin. That can include the hatred of women and the way that that men have um, been dominant. And to say that those are not the same as, as white supremacy, I don't think that you can. So now we're in this interesting moment. Like, what are we going to do with these concepts? And how can we understand the concepts of light and dark in a different way? One way that I'm understanding them currently with Pluto is lightness and darkness as being... Um, different kinds of gradients of my own experience. And darkness is um, a space in myself that I would experience or name as unconscious. Like it's literally, it's just in the dark. I can't see it. It's um, behind me. It's underneath. And I'm thinking of this as ancestry and as epigenetics. So all the experiences that 
I am the recipient of. And so that includes, of course, my lineage and biological inheritance, but it also includes the experiences I've had as an American female and the cultures that I've grown up in that I don't know, those are too big to really comprehend or speak about or give a name to because they depend on everything else that's been co-arising. But in my body um, lives this experience of history. And so, you know, this is embodied astrology, basically. It's like in our bodies, we hold the histories of time and space. Like we are the products of our environments and of our times. And so there's a lot that's in darkness because I'm only seeing what's in front of me. And I'm walking around every day thinking that my name is Renee and I'm an astrologer and this and that. And like these things are important. But the way that I identify and what I hold as my priorities are completely dependent upon everything else that has led to this moment. I cannot untangle myself from all of that. So if I consider darkness to be what is unseen in myself, a lot of that can be content that I'm fearful of. Um, and so to kind of go back to this idea of Alexis Pauline Gums and, and what she's bringing forwards is this idea of the fat black woman is a thing that, or a concept that is an archetype for something that we're, we're scared to admit exists. It's like, well, you think that you're so great, but really your greatness was built by these fat black women. So I'm sorry, step down. That feeling exists, I think, for a lot of us. It's like we want to think like, oh, I got myself here and like I deserve this or I'm entitled to this. But there is so much that we don't see the labor of so many people, um, the results and the residue of, of history and cultures that have come before us. And it's like we don't see them. And so then we think that we're entitled to something. We can be scared of, of our own darkness uh, when it feels like it's controlling us, right? Or when um, we, we can't really contend with it. And I notice this a lot in, in white people <laughs> with myself, first and foremost, as a white person and being a person who's, you know, I'm really interested in whiteness. Like, I want to know, like, what the fuck is this thing? Why are, why is it such a dominant, uh, force on the planet at this time? How can I subvert it as a, as a white person? First, how do I understand it? Then how do I subvert it? How do I deconstruct it? And, the kind of fear that comes up when entitlement is challenged, I think, is something that most white people experience um, because, because of this. It's like we want to feel like we got ourselves here. And when, when goodness is challenged, when um, authority is challenged, the natural instinct is to, is to fight that and to try and maintain something. And so if we can't look at our own history because it's scary, that defensive mechanism is going to be even stronger. And definitely it's not a, a new idea that I'm putting forward that, um, you know, that there is a kind of subconscious memory that m most of, I don't know if it's white people or if it's Americans or people who are beneficiaries of privilege um, I don't know where it begins and ends, but I'll speak for myself. I notice in myself and I notice in other folks, white folks, 
that there can be this amnesia, like a forgetting, um, that isn't a total blank out. It's a knowing that some, if not all of what I have, you know, my privilege, um, is dependent upon the simultaneous suffering and exploitation of other people. And I have a lot of guilt about that, right? Like there's privilege guilt or white guilt or this feeling of like, oh, I'm comfortable, but I know that other people aren't. And I know that other people aren't comfortable and they're suffering in part because I'm comfortable. And that feeling is really complex because, uh, of course, you know, if you're comfortable, like you want to stay comfortable. It's like Taurus, right? It's like comfort is important. And then what the fuck am I supposed to do about it? You know, I didn't ask to be born into this body. I didn't, I don't know. Like, this is just what I have. My people worked for this, blah, 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 like all these things. And how as a individual person, am I supposed to shift this imbalance of power and privilege? Like these things flood into me um, with as much reading and discussion and willingness as I have to kind of look at these issues. They continue to flood into me and their reactions, right? Their responses. And when they're unexamined, when I can't see them for what they are, then they turn into defensiveness. Then they turn into um, whatever comes from fear, you know, trying to to control, to assert. And this is such a Pluto energy (laughs) because Pluto as an energy brings us into a childlike state where we're clutching and we're grabbing and we're feeling like this is mine. And like if you watch kids play and like when they get territorial and this kind of animalist instinct to protect what's ours. And so if I think about that as a concept of darkness, like what is hidden, what's behind the scenes, what I refuse to see, what I'm scared to see, what I'm disgusted by, etc., And then think of lightness as a force that can illuminate when I can shine light onto something and look at it. That's how I'm thinking about this current era of Pluto and Capricorn. We have the opportunity right now to look at our darkness, to look at our shadow. And when I say darkness, I mean the darkness of our souls, the darkness of our spirits, the darkness of what is unexamined in our personal and collective psyches. And Pluto and Capricorn is an important moment in our history, of course, um, in the United States and also in the world as the United States is having its Pluto return. So I was talking before about the Uranus return and Saturn return. And so Pluto as an orbital period is... Um, I wrote it down. What is it? Like 250 something years. And um, as it returns to its natal placement, which is doing currently, the United States is, is going to be transformed. I mean, the idea that we were born with, it, it has to be transformed. And so we have to look at what we've come from. And we have to deal with the results of the power and the wealth that has been accumulated. And if that power and wealth um, is not redistributed, then we're going to move into a current, uh, into an upcoming age of totalitarianism, which is definitely a potential for Pluto as this god of death. Um, Or we're looking at radical transformation and actually 
America as an idea being reborn more aligned with its original intent because we've looked at that darkness. And that's really my hope for it. And again, considering the 102 women that got voted in and um, particularly a lot of the women that are considering bids for the next presidential race, I feel hopeful. You know, I really, I feel hopeful with all of the movements that are building with as many people making as much noise as they are with fat black women being recognized. And when I say that, I don't literally mean people who are in fat black bodies, female bodies. I mean, people who are exploited, who are laboring, who are really creating the wealth that many of us are benefiting from. It's like more and more people in places of privilege are waking up to this kind of understanding, which means that more and more people who are in places of um, being exploited or, or unseen are now starting to be seen and their voices are starting to be recognized. It doesn't feel fast enough for me. It doesn't feel powerful or complete enough, but it does at least feel like a possibility. And it feels like we've come um, to maybe not full circle, but definitely to um, a moment of reckoning with where this country was formed as an idea. So I feel hopeful about that. Um, all right. So then the last uh, outer planet transit I want to talk about is Chiron and Aries. And Chiron is not technically a planet. Um, well, it's a centaur planet. So it has a very irregular orbit. It basically links the orbits of um, Saturn and Uranus. And if we think about Saturn as a planetary force that formalizes and 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 puts into rule-based structures and wants to build, and Uranus is a planetary force that disrupts and revolutionizes, Chiron is the link between them. And it definitely has a lot to do with psychological understanding. It has about a 50-year orbit. The last time it was in Aries was 1968 through 1977. And again, Aries is the sign of the individual. And Chiron in Aries, it, Chiron's moving uh, into Aries this February, it's a nine-year cycle, is a cycle of identity politics. So Chiron entered uh, Aries the last time on April 1st, 1968. This was four days before Martin Luther King was assassinated in Memphis. And uh, just a couple of months before Robert Kennedy was assassinated in LA um, the night that he won the California primary. So when Chiron entered Aries, it was basically the end of what was is considered like the civil rights era and the beginning of kind of a fracturing of um, the civil rights and the anti-war movements into like a number of different groups. So like women's rights, environmental rights, black rights, etc. Um, this was also a, a period in time when a couple of some really important legislature was passed. So Roe v. Wade, um, the Stonewall riot occurred during this time, and it was kind of the birth of the LGBT movement. And of course, the women's movement coined the term personal is political during this time. I think it's a really important Chiron and Aries slogan. And last but not least, the note I have is that this is when the Watergate scandal took place and Nixon resigned. So as we move into Chiron and Aries, um, in this upcoming cycle, we'll, we'll see. Um, this is a, a period of time that I've been thinking of and calling a period of ego healing. And it's a time when I think we have a lot of potential to understand similar themes to Uranus and Aries and Uranus and Taurus, but it's the power of the people and how we as people will each uh, pursue and undergo our own personal healing in effort to push forward uh, a collective healing and our movements. 
Okay, so um, now I'm going to get into some uh, faster transits. Um, the first one is Jupiter. Um, Jupiter is a year-long cycle, and uh, excuse me, it's it spends one year in each sign, so it's a 12-year cycle or orbital period around the sun. Um, and Jupiter is currently in Sagittarius. It moved into Sagittarius in December, and will. Um, excuse me, in November, and will remain in Sagittarius through December of this year, 2019. So it's a one-year cycle of Jupiter and Sagittarius, and this is Jupiter's home sign. It's the ruler of, classical ruler of Sagittarius and Pisces. And Jupiter in Sagittarius is big energy. Jupiter is an expansive energy. It brings more. It's considered a benefic, and so Jupiter, uh, can bring us luck. It's really optimistic, especially in Sagittarius. It's big ideas. It's generosity and growth. Um, it can also be too muchness. It can be overwhelming. And that's, you know, by hard transit, Jupiter can kind of like swamp you with something. So for those of you with strong fire sign placements, Sag, Leo, Aries, this might be a really awesome year for you with uh, Jupiter in agreement to your elements. Um, for those of you with mutable sign placements, Gemini, Virgo, Pisces, um, and Sagittarius, you know, because Sagittarius is a benefic, it it does want to bring goodness into your life. But by hard transit, it, again, it can feel like a lot, a little bit too much. And Jupiter in Sagittarius is an expansion of all things Sagittarian. So with Sagittarius, we have mass media and broadcasting. We have um, philosophies and religions, not in the same way that Pisces is religious in terms of uh, you know, big collective movements, but in the way that religion is a philosophy. And so Sagittarius is an energy that um, is constantly seeking. It's seeking explanation and meaning. And so Jupiter as its planetary ruler boosts this. And over the course of this year, it, there's a lot of momentum and energy to create meaning and to broadcast that meaning. And so this momentum of social movements will definitely increase throughout the year. Now, however, since Jupiter is in Sagittarius, it will form a number of squares to Neptune. Um, Neptune is another mutable sign. And the first of those squares is this month. So um, in January, and now I have to pull up all of my notes. Um, in January, kind of later in the month, we have Jupiter squaring um, Neptune to find my notes. Where did it go? Okay, so... Jupiter uh, squares Neptune on January 12th, both at 14 degrees. So it's in just a couple of days. And um, then it goes on to square Neptune again in June from the 14th through the 21st. And then basically all of September, they're really close. And around September 20th, 21st is um, when they get the closest. So remember Neptune and Pisces, that energy, and now Jupiter and Sagittarius is basically bringing a conflicting um, aspect to Neptune and Pisces. On the darker, more low vibration end, 
this thing about fake news and um, what's happening in the media right now is one of the ways that I'm seeing this act out most extremely. Um, the peril that journalists are facing currently, um, I imagine this is going to continue to be a theme this year, and we're really going to be looking at what it means to have a free press if we have a free press and you know freedom of speech and these kinds of things um, with Jupiter. Um, excuse me, with Sagittarius being a sign that is associated with truths and meaning, and Pisces being a sign that's associated with illusion. So hyperbole, propaganda, fake news, but also the fight for free press, the fight for freedom of speech, and for journalist protections um, will figure big. This is also when we have, um, like, this square is going to bring in this fundamentalism to like the nth degree and it's this feeling of like we're too big to fail you know and this again lower vibration kind of like insane optimism of of like um you know this is the way that it's gonna be this is the way that it should be we can win da 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 um but not actually looking at the facts on the ground not considering the long term or the collective impact on high vibration levels, this is the collective um, informing the ideals. And so people who are in, um, you know, people who are meaning makers, artists, poets, orators, uh, authors, uh, people who have platforms really coming into a space where they're kind of like channeling the collective and delivering it in a certain way so big movements can spread. This is one of the the ways that I'll see um, Jupiter and Neptune kind of working together throughout the year. Wherever Sagittarius is in your chart, this is a place where you are in a place of, of expansion and growth. The second shorter term transit I'm considering is Saturn in Capricorn. Saturn entered Capricorn in December of 2017. We'll continue to transit Capricorn through next year in 2020. And in January of next year, Saturn and Pluto come into exact conjunction with each other. However, they are very close in terms of their aspect currently. And throughout the year, they kind of dance um, in and out of, uh, of orb with each other. Um, and astrologically, uh, orb of influence with a conjunction of these planets, you know, heavy hitter planets would be 10 degrees. So I think throughout most of the year, um, Saturn and Pluto are in orb of influence with one another. So 2019, we are in the applying conjunction of Saturn to Pluto. And then in January of 2020, that conjunction perfects. And Saturn is the ruler of Capricorn. It's another thing about this year is we have a lot of like pure energy, um, planets in the signs of their rulerships. Neptune is in Pisces, Jupiter is in Sagittarius, Cap- uh, Saturn is in Capricorn. And that um, those placements bring, you know, they bring strength to the signs, but they also bring a certain quality of unchecknedness. It's like the planetary energies just kind of express themselves purely without no, without any stops or measures. Um, Saturn and Capricorn are both associated with dominance, um, with leadership, with leaders and rules. Um, so with Saturn, what we have is the process of fortification and strengthening. And the way that Saturn fortifies and strengthens is by limiting options and, um, uh, hardening 
So like a calcification, Saturn rules the bones in our bodies. And when our options are limited, we don't spend as much energy moving out into those other directions. And so then we really have to focus. And Saturn in Capricorn is bringing a lot of focus. And, you know, just a couple of days ago on January 2nd, we had uh, the sun conjoin Saturn. Today, of course, there's this uh, eclipse um, in Capricorn. And the Capricorn Saturnian energy is is strong and it's getting stronger. And this is part of like where I'm saying, okay, I'm going to professionalize. I'm going to make certain choices about things. I want to get stronger. You know, what, what am I focusing on? What's important to me? And all of us are going to be experiencing this uh, throughout the year. And particularly in the area of your chart that Capricorn is ruling, this is a place in your life where you are basically cutting away your options so that you can focus. And um, as Saturn and Pluto come together, this is, uh, you know, the Saturnian function meeting the god of death. And so we have this powerful contracting force and a, and a taking away of options. Saturn and Pluto are also uh, conjoining with the south node, which is one of the eclipse points. And I'm going to talk about those uh, as well in just a second. Um, and the south node is where we're releasing something, where we're releasing the karma that's ready to, to be let go. And so Saturn, Pluto, and the South Node coming together in Capricorn is one of, I think, the most defining astrological energies of this year, which is about release and seeding of power. So I'm going to term it like that. I'm not going to talk about like, you know, you losing your money. Let's think about it from an empowered space and think about seeding power, think about sharing power, think about letting go of of privileges or um, superfluous stuff or niceties that you don't actually need. You know, like, again, if you have financial ease in your life, give some of it away. Help people out who are struggling. If you have an abundance of something, figure out how to share it. In the future that we're heading into, none of us needs uh, more than we need. Like, we, we need what we need, and we need to know how to share, and then we're going to have plenty but none of us needs to stockpile. Like that is not the, that's not evolutionary thinking. Hoarding is is of the past. It's old news. It's fake news. It's like not helpful. So Saturn coming together with Pluto is a is a clarifying moment for all of us, and it's really about coming into um, greater alignment with our priorities and with our power. Saturn-Pluto coming together in conjunction is particularly powerful for people who are experiencing their Saturn return, folks who were born in the late 80s and early 90s, and also for people who were born during the last Saturn-Pluto conjunction in the early 80s. I am one of these people too. I've said this once before, and um, I'll say it again. In the next couple of months, I'm going to do a special episode, particularly for these generations, as well as for folks in their um, 60s who are experiencing their second Saturn return. Because those of us in, in these generations with these strong Saturn um, and Saturn-Pluto aspects, um, we have a, a special mission right now. But anyway, as we move into the conjunction of Saturn-Pluto in 2019, Saturn-Pluto and Capricorn, there is a refrain of the last Saturn-Pluto conjunction, which occurred in Libra, another cardinal sign in the early 80s. This was when Reagan was in office in the United States and all the, you know, the social services that FDR put in place, as I was mentioning with Uranus and Taurus cycles, many of those services uh, started to become um, 
like corrupted with Reagan. And now we're seeing their, um, their death (laughs) kind of, you know, it's like, uh, unions, minimum wage, um, worker protections, this kind of things are, are, they're really like being threatened quite a lot. So now with Saturn, Pluto, what are we going to choose? Are we going to choose to, um, let them die? Are we going to destroy them even further? Are we going to uh, try and hold on to the old structures of what they were? Or are we going to remake these ideas into something that is relevant for the time now and um, a benefit to as many people as possible? So I don't know, we'll, we'll see, but that's definitely a big possibility is that we can go through radical and wonderful transformation uh, in these next couple of years. We can kill the structures that are not working for us. You know, Pluto as the god of death and Saturn as the, uh, you know, in, in mythology, Saturn is the sun that usurps his father's power. Um, that's a story for another time, but Saturn, Kronos, basically like, you know, um, conf- confronts his father, uh, takes his power, but then um, it, he holds on to his own power basically through, um, by eating his children, by killing his children. And then he has his power taken from him by his son. So this is the, the moment of mythology that we're living through. The United States as an idea is dying. We will see what will be reborn, but these next couple of years are definitely an opportunity period for us. Um, finally, this, uh, Opportunity is underlined by eclipses. So we've got eclipses happening in a new range in the Cancer Capricorn range um, starting now, starting today with the first solar eclipse in Capricorn. We'll have a second solar eclipse later this year in December, um, also in Capricorn. But in a couple of weeks on um, January 21st, we've got a total lunar eclipse at zero degrees of Leo. I think I misspoke. I'm just looking at my notes right now. So there's a total lunar eclipse on the 21st and it's a partial solar eclipse today. Excuse me for saying it was a total solar eclipse. That is wrong. Um, anyway, on January 21st, we have a total lunar eclipse uh, in Leo and that's finishing up the last cycle. Um, 2017 and 2018, we had eclipses in the Leo Aquarius axis. So during those seasons, the Energy of eclipses is something I talked a lot about in the previous Embodied Astrology episode, if you want to listen to that, called All the Ways We Keep Coming Together um, for the Full Moon in Cancer. And I'm not going to talk as much about them this episode. I'll talk more about eclipses um, in the next episode again. But in summary, eclipses are times of recognition. It's when we have the option to update and reset And 2017 and 2018 were big periods of change uh, for a lot of us. And if you look in your natal chart to see where um, Aquarius and and Leo are, what houses they're in, these areas of life were getting updated. They were getting reset. Now, as we move into Cancer Capricorn, these areas of life get updates and resets. Capricorn is, of course, um, the, the United States House of Wealth and the U.S., birthday is July 4th. That means the U.S. is a cancer. So again, updates and resets to uh, the value systems and the identity of the country. 
Capricorn and Cancer, um, for all of us, are the archetypal roles of the parents, of mother-father energy, and kind of the basic feminine masculine energy. So for all of us, um, the next year and a half or so with these eclipses, this is a time when hopefully a lot of us are going to be updating our ideas about responsibility, maturity, gender roles, and who we are as adults, you know, and, and working through some of this ancestral baggage that we have around parent roles, not just our birth parents, not just their parents, their parents, their parents, but these cultural ideals, these bigger ideas of what it means to be, you know, the child of something, the child of a uh, country, the child of a larger identity, etc. Um, all right. So, I think that's it for talking about transits. Um, I'm going to go through now and just kind of briefly look at the aspects and and, um, kind of important dates that I've noted for 2019. Now, this is not everything, and um, I'm not going to talk so much about the minor planets or the personal planets. I'll mention Mercury retrogrades, but in terms of the transits of Mercury, Venus, and Mars through the signs, I'm going to look more at those tonight in the 2019 year ahead class. And um, because personal planets relate to the personal, Mercury to the mind, Venus to kind of our happiness and love, Mars to our desires, our energy, um, I'll be talking about them more like that. However, the personal planets really set off a lot of the transpersonal planets. And particularly with Mars this year, there are some really interesting lineups that are going to happen um, in the summer and in and in April. I think like April, June, and August and September. Like there's some really interesting lineups um, of the personal planets and the transpersonal planets. And you can follow along with embodied astrology. I'll talk about them as they occur. But also for those of you who are interested in astrology, you can kind of look ahead at the ephemerides for the coming year and notice when uh, the personal planets are are interacting because they're going to boost this transpersonal energy. All right. So today, partial solar eclipse at 15 degrees of Capricorn. Um, This is the beginning of this new eclipse cycle. This is the first one. And so from now through the middle of 2020, we are solidly in eclipses in the Cancer Capricorn axis. And as I said, updates and um, resets of our nervous system, of our thinking, of our behaviors. The south node is in Capricorn, and that means that in Capricorn, it's a place of release. It's like, we don't want to do this anymore. This is the old thing. Capricorn is a sign that it definitely relates to patriarchy. It definitely relates to leadership, to governance, to dominance. It also relates to old wisdom and tradition. And one of the ways these solar eclipses, I think, or excuse me, not just the solar eclipses, but eclipses are going to um, work with the south node is that wherever the south node is, there's um, it's a giving up of power. The nodal axis has a lot to do with the way that karma is incurred because of desire. So with the south node, we have the giving away of desire. And in its place, then we have a spiritual experience. We have um, this kind of like, you know, opening that happens when we like renounce the material gain or something like that. And 
I don't know. I mean, there are so many people right now who are discovering witchcraft, <laughs> like a lot of you that listen and um, people that I see on social media. It's like younger generations a, a, a lot, you know, of people just going, I'm magic. Like I'm an intuitive. I'm a witch. I can work with nature. I want this. I claim this identity. This is one of the ways that I think um, the eclipses are going to play out in a positive way is more people coming into contact with their ancestral traditions, with the power of their ancestors and the magic of um, their ancestors, which, of course, this is, you know, the ancestors of your peoples and the places that you came from. But for all of us, this includes the first ancestors that we all share and the earth as our primary ancestor, as our, like, the place that we come from. January 6th. Tomorrow, Uranus stations direct at 28 degrees Aries. So I talked about this before. This is the last time Uranus is going to station direct in this sign. And this is the conclusion of the Uranus and Aries cycle, which began in 2010. January 12th, Jupiter and Sagittarius makes its first square to Neptune. So basically that whole week, this uh, is a square that's strongly figured. Again, the Jupiter to Neptune square is a time when there can be this inflation inflationary kind of maybe inflammatory period and it's like lots of ideas nothing is really grounded um everything is really big so use this to your advantage like take some time to think big and dream big and uh then don't be too convinced about it. Like we've got to balance Jupiter and Sagittarius squaring Neptune and Pisces with the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. I think that they provide a good balance to each other this year. There's a lot of potential for growth. There's a lot of optimism. There's a lot of ideas. What is really your priority? So as I was saying, leverage your energy. Spend the week thinking about your ideas, but give it until uh, the next week, January 23rd through 31st, Saturn and Capricorn is going to sextile Neptune and Pisces. That would be a week to think more realistically about what it is that you want to do. Before that, though, on the 21st, we've got the total lunar eclipse at zero degrees of Leo. It's the last eclipse in the Leo Aquarius range. It is finishing up the cycle of Leo Aquarius eclipses. Um, eclipses also happen in 10-year cycles, so you can think back to you know 2007 to 2009, what that phase was all about, what the last two years have been about. Um, as we enter into these new eclipses, thinking back to you know 2009 to 2011, what that phase was all about for you, now we're kind of coming into the next iteration of it. Um, then, uh, let's see in February, I think I forgot to write this down. So I'm going to look it up really quickly. Um, in February, we have Chiron moving into Aries and I'm forgetting the exact day. So let me just pull it up real quick. Um, so Chiron moves into Aries, uh, right at the end of February, kind of the last week around the 19th. And this begins then this nine-year cycle of Chiron in Aries. And um, wherever Aries is in your chart, this is a place where you are now primed for psychological awareness and for intergenerational healing. You know, it's a 50-year cycle. What was going on 50 years ago? You know, look back at that time. Where are you now? How are you carrying this energy forward? How do you recognize your own positionality that's the theme of the first um, of the 2019 podcast series is on positionality and reckoning with where we are now. 
Um, then as we get into March, March 5th through 28th, Mercury is going to um, be retrograde from 29 to 16 degrees of Pisces. Mercury retrograde is a great time for reflection. It is not a time for fear. Please do not be scared of Mercury retrograde. Do not blame things on it, but plan for it. Use it to reflect, use it to research, use it to remain with ideas, use it for relationships, especially with Mercury retrograde in the water signs this year. It's a really um, great practice to get present with people. And the Mercury retrograde times are times to do that because Mercury retrograde is not about moving forward with your ideas. It's about looking backward and reflecting in. So 29 to 16 degrees of Pisces from March 5th to March 28th is the retrograde period. From March 6th, um, so the day after Mercury turns retrograde, on March 6th, Uranus enters Taurus. And from March 6th, uh, 2019 through April 26th, 2026, Uranus Uranus will transit Taurus, as I talked about before. On April 10th, uh, Jupiter begins its retrograde. So um, Jupiter is retrograde for about four months. It'll retrograde from 24 degrees of Sagittarius back to 14 degrees of Sagittarius. It turns direct on August 11th. When the slower moving planets are retrograde, it's not quite the same kind of friction that comes in with the slower moving planets like Mercury, Venus going retrograde. Jupiter retrograde though is definitely still a time for reflection. And it's when that normally more expansive energy of Jupiter might take a different route or there may be more internal expansions. So your big ideas, uh, bring them in, in that time, let them work within you. And then um, after August, when it turns direct, and as Jupiter starts to move towards Capricorn, and next year in 2020, Jupiter enters Capricorn in December. And then again, in January, we've got this lineup of Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto, all in Capricorn, you're going to need to have your shit together. So April through August of this year, um, let the inner guru expand. Jupiter is the archetype of the teacher and the guru, and it will be retrograde. That is a great time to reflect on your own wisdom and um, figure out how to use it. April 14th through October 2nd, Pluto is retrograde. Again, um, the Pluto energy is transformative energy. Use this time to transform your own darkness by casting light upon it, like insight, meditate, look at yourself, you know, let's all look at ourselves, figure out how we can be better people by not making it worse, by not moving from places of pain and defensiveness and unconsciousness. April 30th through September 18th, Saturn retrogrades. Um, So we've got a lot of retrograde happening throughout the bulk of the year, but the next couple months we're in the clear. So if there are things that you're wanting to start in these next few months, um, basically January and February, and then into March, uh, well, March, we have the Mercury retrograde, so it's not a good time to start something, but this month and next month, great times to start things, um, because no planets are retrograde, which is kind of rare, actually. Um, all right. So I already talked about the second square of Neptune. Um, so January 14th through 21st, uh, Jupiter squares Neptune and Pisces again. Um, 
With this three times squaring thing, you might think of these squares as beginning, middles, and ends. So this month we've got the beginning. Uh, in June, there's the middle, and then in September, there's the end. And so these might be processes um, of, you know, this like expansion idea. Okay, what's actually possible? Okay, now implement it. So if you're a creative person or if you're thinking about how to utilize this energy best in the areas of life that Sagittarius and Pisces rule, this month, think big. In June, reflect. How's it working for you? In September, modify it. Turn it into the thing it's going to be. Um, let's see. From June 21st to November 27th, Neptune is retrograde. Um, so again, it's a time for reflection. It's a time for uh, spiritual introspection. In July, we've got the uh, eclipse season again, the second eclipse season. So um, we have a total solar eclipse at 10 degrees of Cancer on July 2nd. And then um, July 7th, June and July are, are big years with the minor or big moments with the minor planets as well. There's like a big buildup in Leo and Virgo throughout the summer. Um, but July 7th through 31st, Mercury retrogrades again um, from the early degrees of Leo, four degrees Leo back to 23 degrees of Cancer. So big changes potentially in uh, July, in, especially in the areas of your chart that Cancer rules. This will be a time when, you know, with a solar eclipse, it's like you're ready for something new. You're ready for a new beginning, a new awareness. And with Mercury retrograding right after that, there's this uh, suggestion that introspection is going to be a big part of that. And then on July 16th, we've got another lunar eclipse in Capricorn. This is the letting go period. And then um, in August, let's see, uh, August, Uranus turns retrograde and it'll retrograde for the rest of the year until early January 2020. Um, and during this time, Uranus is tracing back its steps to from six degrees of Taurus to two degrees of Taurus. And two degrees is where it's stationed retrograde um, in August of 2018. So the two degree mark is an important mark. You might just check out your own chart and look for any planets in the early degrees of either the earth signs or the fixed signs um, and see how these periods of time were impacting you. In September, we've got the third and final Jupiter-Neptune square. Um, and then in October, um, actually, sorry, in November, from October 31st through November 20th, we have the final Mercury retrograde of 2019, and Mercury will retrograde in Scorpio from 27 to 11 degrees of Scorpio. Okay, and then let's see, in December, Jupiter leaves Sagittarius. So December 3rd, Jupiter ingresses Capricorn, and then it will stay there through December 20th of 2020. And just a couple of days after it enters Capricorn, it's going to form a trine with Uranus and Taurus, which at the time, of course, Uranus will be retrograde and they'll both be at two degrees. So this will be interesting as Jupiter starts to move into Capricorn, it'll trine Uranus and some of these big changes um, in terms of what Uranus and Taurus is bringing and also what Saturn, Pluto, and this kind of Capricorn energy is bringing, that trine is really going to start to, um, I think, bring them more into action, bring them into more of an obvious kind of impact impact. And then right at the end of the year on Christmas day, we have a solar eclipse at four degrees of Capricorn and that ends our year. So we begin the year today with a solar eclipse, uh, in, in Capricorn. And then we end the year with another solar eclipse in Capricorn. Um, so a little bit of a summary of this year and 
you know, I don't know who needs astrology for this. It's like, just watch the news. Um, there's a lot of changes politically. We, as people, regardless of, of where we're living, really need to decide what is important and what our priorities are and what the meaning is that we're making out of our lives. And this is a big Jupiter and Sagittarius theme. What is meaningful to each of us? What are our priorities? And then let's pare down. So Saturn and Pluto is really supporting us this year to get focused. Use your energy for its biggest impact and be as conscientious as you can be about your impact and your footprint. Remember that so many people are, you know, behind everything that you have and that your actions and inactions are affecting more people than you can conceive of. So how do we make choices that are are the most beneficial? You know, when we benefit other people, we benefit ourselves. And that's should be obvious and for some reason it seems to not be obvious to m- most of the world or like this idea that we need to pursue our own personal benefit. It's so backwards that, you know, when we, when we pursue our own personal benefit, the collective suffers. When we pursue the collective benefit, the individuals thrive. And at least for me, this is where I hope we pivot towards as a collective in the coming year. Um, this is a, I think this is a make it or break it moment this year. We've definitely gone through make it or break it moments in our human history. Um, as I looked back on the history, it was remarkable just to see how much crises humanity has gone through and how we've continued to make a lot of the same choices um, and how we've woken up, how we've made progress and have, uh, I think in a lot of ways, you know, become more conscientious and kinder. And let's hope that we can make a really big step in that direction in 2019. Okay, so I'm going to call it a day for this podcast and uh, close it out there. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, Check back in with me in a couple of weeks at the new moon and lunar eclipse in Leo. I'll have an offering for you then. Um, I'm going to stay with the two-week structure for the rest of the month and then shift into this uh, week uh, weekly cycle um, starting in February. So I'll keep you updated as to those changes. And then, of course, if you're interested in working more with the astrology of 2019, check embodiedastrology.com. At the shop, you can um, purchase the 2019 astrology class. As it's a recording of the class I'm giving tonight, it will not be available until the 11th, um, but by the 11th, everything will be available and sent to anyone who purchases it. And there are discounts for that class for monthly subscribers. And of course, you can get your zodiacal season planners as a monthly subscriber for free um, as well. So much love to everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks so much for your support of Embodied Astrology. And I wish you a wonderful year and um, wishing you all the best in 2019 and beyond. Bye for now.